Now, 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, please. 2 Corinthians, chapter 10. Because I don't have to tell you, I guess, the significance of the hour that we're living in. I trust that you have sensed there is an urgency. There is something happening in our great nation. And as I said earlier, while we have people from around the world, this is an American-USA quip where we want to hear God for what He's saying to us as the church in America. And there's stuff He wants to do in the church, through the church, from America again in this next season. But as we gather together, it's not by default, it's not by mistake, I'm convinced we have a moment in time in history to have a week together where we can actually, again, hear what it is the Father has for us. I recognize in this room there are leaders of churches, there are leaders and influencers in cities and in business, and the mothers and fathers, their daughters and sons. All of us are carrying some influence. All of us are carrying some responsibility. But all of us here are part of the church, which we're being called out for the purpose and plans of God. And as we listen, and this nation is an incredibly rich nation, a blessed nation, there's so much access we have to so many things on the internet. Here's what I am finding more and more as we access those things, we listen to too many voices and we begin to almost go deaf to the voice that matters most. Not that our hearts are wrong, we're just listening to too many people. Too many things, good things, but not necessarily the things God has spoken. And, and I feel like there's a, a coming together this week. And again, not man, but God wants to speak clear again. God wants to bring clarity. God wants to remove some stuff from us that perhaps culture has put on us, or perhaps the church has put on us, or even people or leaders or whatever, books. He wants to remove some of that because it's not from Him. And He wants to add to some of the stuff that needs to be added to. He wants to do some major surgery in our hearts and even in the ministries we're involved in. How many of you are willing for God to do that? Uh, are you here to hear a word or are you here to connect with God? Are you here when you connect with God for God to do some stuff that only God can do? You, you know, I, I, I love singing some of those old hymns and some of those truths out of the uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. You know, I, I, I saw the Lord in the, uh, when they, in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord seated high. You know that song, the hymns, that scripture. But, but it's amazing in a downtime like that, when things were uncertain, King Uzziah was dead and, and this great prophet, God in his wisdom, didn't give this prophet, which prophets should get, is a word. He didn't give, God, uh, give Isaiah a word. He gave Isaiah a revelation of Christ. I saw the Lord seated. I didn't get a word from the Lord. I saw the Lord. And I want to say to you this week, friends, that, that God wants to speak. Of course, we're all here to hear the word of the Lord. But can I suggest in an uncertain time, it's not just a word that we need. It's a revelation of seeing Him again. And when we see Him, we hear Him, my Lord, send me. Overwhelmed by seeing Christ in His glory. I saw the Lord seated high and exalted. And His train filled the temple. And, and everyone was worshiping and falling to the and said, Woe is me, Lord. When I see you, I'm undone. Woe is me. Not give me a word so I can make it, Lord. Wow, I'm undone by what I've seen. 
We need some of that in North America, in the United States of America, in the church, where God says, I want to reveal to you who I am. And then with that comes the word where we get on with the task. My prayer is, God, would you reveal more of Christ to us in this room? Regardless of where we're at in our life, reveal more of Jesus. We need more of Him, not just another great word. Amen. But in doing that, we've got to respond and recognize. And I'm convinced, and I said this recently all over, but now I can say it in the nation that it's true, is that in this nation, I believe that Christendom is dead. That we are now living in and leading, living and leading in a post-Christendom culture. Nominalism does not exist. It's not normal anymore. It's not some truth or basics that we hold to anymore. They don't exist anymore because true Christians, the church, is returning back to the message of the king and the kingdom. Moralism which was Christendom. And we used to preach morals from the pulpit and everybody obeyed and listened and bought into. But now, my dear friends, moralism doesn't exist because people have no morals. Are you with me? Morals are not going to hold people together when we get up and preach love people, love your neighbor, your marriage. I mean, people don't even believe in marriage in our great nation anymore. And so we cannot hold to some teaching of moralism and begin to try and hold on to these things that are death. The gospel's not a moralistic message. And while morals are in it, it's the working from the inside out, not some rules and representation of bringing, trying to bring reality to people who don't see it as real anymore. It's death to Christendom. Nationalism. I listen to Americans, how they begin to hate this nation now and speak so bad. And this was one of the most proudest nations. It was proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. Guess what? Nobody seems to be doing that anymore because nationalism is dying because people are realizing that God is using all kinds of people from all parts of the world to reach this nation and from this nation to go beyond. And I think we need to be patriotic again. I really do. And I'm not preaching uh, politics, but we need to be proud to be an American. We better be blessed to live in this nation. I feel incredibly blessed to be living and leading. Honestly, I thank God that I get to travel the world, but I'm more grateful to God that he's called me to live in this nation, even in the challenges and the times that we are blessed to be an American. I want to tell you that you're blessed to be an American. But you have a purpose and a plan to be an American in America in this time and season. And Christendom's not going to work anymore. So while it's death to Christendom, here's the good news. I believe it's the rebirthing of Christianity. Authentic following of Jesus. Jesus followers, following Christ, standing up for what we are for, not always standing for what we're against. We have an opportunity in our time, in this vacuum and in this season of so many unknowns, for the church to step up and present the realities of Christ, the King, and the kingdom. We have a responsibility to stand up and say what we're about, who we for, what we for. I know Jesus addressed the culture of the day, but he was not anti it. He stood up for what he was for, and that's what drew people to what he was about. 
And so I'm not here to fight you this, this week, but I am here to say it's time for us to talk about what we're about, who we're about, and what Jesus Christ is. And so it's an incredibly exciting season for the church. Challenging, perhaps we have never been this way before, but there's grace and there is this reverbing sound that comes from heaven for God's people to know what God's on about not to guess their way through life, not to wonder, is it Christendom? It's not to hanker for what was, but to walk in what is and know that God's not caught off guard by what's happening in our nation right now. He's not worried about our elections in November. And you might be, and I am to some degree, but he's not. I wonder if Trump gets in, what that means for my purposes. He's not wondering, Chief, Hillary gets in and all the stuff about her, that means I'm not going to be able to do my purpose. Do you know that he's in full control regardless? And I'm not saying don't vote. You go vote. And I would like to tell you who to vote for, but I'm not going to do that. But I want to tell you, whoever gets in, God still has a purpose and a plan. You know, I was born in Zimbabwe, Rhodesia in those days. I'll get in trouble, and I know this is all going out there, but he, that is one of the most... The, the leader of Zimbabwe is the most dictatorial leadership in the world. You mess with them, they take you out. But I want to tell you, the church is thriving in Zimbabwe because it's not made up by the government, it's made up by the call of God. And so whatever comes our way, I'm not downplaying the need for, are you with me? But I'm just saying, America, take your faith out of the government. Put your faith back in Christ. It's a season of God's authentic church to be God's authentic church. And the church is not our building. The church is us in this room. And it's not just the leaders who lead churches this morning. It's every one of us in this room to be the church and to do that which God's called us to. Can you say amen to that? And so I want to ask you, please, as I said, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And for time's sake, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Paul's writing and uh, this is a man under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Again, he's just a man. And I don't want to present Paul as this great man. He was a man, but he caught the understanding of a great God. And he was faithful to the call. And this is what he says in verse 12. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Some versions say they quite miss the point. Other versions say how ignorant. And so, so what Paul's saying is we don't try and compare ourselves with ourselves. We don't uh, uh, classify ourselves against... I mean, friends, how many believe that's stupid to do that? When you measure yourself against yourself, it's crazy. Would you agree? Paul says it's stupid. You miss the point. Now, now here's what I want to say to us. We do that all the time. I'm sorry that we're stepping on toes, but welcome to God doing some dealing. We compare ourselves with ourselves all the time. We are ignorant and stupid according to Scripture. I'm sorry, but it's true. Church leaders, let me tell you, when you measure yourself against yourself, you're always doing bad or always doing good. And what we do is we take the best of our culture and we compare it to the worst of another culture and say we're awesome. Or the best of our church at the worst of another church say we're doing pretty good. 
Or the best of my marriage to the another marriage that's really doing bad. Because here's the thing, I always find a marriage better than mine, and I always find one worse than mine. So if I look to the worst, I'm always feeling good. If I look to the best, I'm always feeling bad. But I'm comparing myself to myself. How about the local church? Pastors. How many of you are on social media, people? Put your hand up if you're on social media. Then you are guilty of comparing yourself all the time. And I'll tell you why. Because nobody puts on social media the bad things. I've never seen on a Monday morning a post, terrible preach, I missed the point, no people showed up, God was not there, even though theologically he's everywhere, but he wasn't there, musos were terrible, worship was terrible, I'm quitting ministry, never seen that, ever. I'm not saying do that, that should be your time with the Lord. But the reason we don't see it on social media is because social media is all about the highlights. And I'm not anti the highlights, but if you're comparing your life, your ministry, your church with the highlights of others, you are ignorant. (laughs) We do that. We compare. We read books, guys. We read the latest books of the greatest leaders in our nation in the church and they write books on how they did what they did and how awesome their church and multi-site and 5,000, 5 million people in their churches and we look at them and say, those are the highlights. We want to compare and say, we are failing, we're failing, we're failing. We better change strategy. We better get more seeker sensitive. We better get rid of the Holy Spirit, rid of the God thing and just attract a crowd because we're comparing ourselves with ourselves. Hello. This week, you can sit around and look around and say, gee, that guy's got a great church. I wish I was in their church. Great musos. Who's those musos? If only we had those musicians in our church, we would be bigger. If I, you're comparing yourself with yourself. Now, I'm okay with us having a heart to have more and to trust. And, but let me tell you this, friends. We're not going to do the will of God in this season comparing ourselves with ourselves. There has to come a freedom in this room this week. That whatever you're doing, if it's for the will of God, in the purpose of God, as best as you can in God, that you are doing what God's called you to do. Well done, carry on. You're not less relevant because your church is smaller. You're not less relevant here this morning because you're not married. You're not less relevant because you're struggling to have children. You're not better because you've got more children. You're not better in this room because you've got a big church. Because if you have a big church, let me tell you, God gave you that. You best thank the Lord, and we are welcoming Him for what He's doing. You're not better because you work in more nations. You're not better because you're more gifted. You're not better. Why? Because that's comparing ourselves with ourselves. Now, I know this is sound harsh, but I want to see people liberated. And I'm tired of people comparing themselves with themselves. Because according to the Bible, you're foolish. And it's rampant in our social media, celebrity-driven nation called the United States. And it's rampant in the church. And we're doing a disservice to our nation and to the call of God for the church. Are you with me, friends? Are we still friends? Paul said it, not me. We do it all the time. We always find better and we'll always find worse. And here's what I want to ask you this morning, honestly, settle this. Have you really settled in your heart who God's called you to be and what God has called you to do? Have you settled in your heart 
Not, I want this. I want recognition. I, I. What have you called me to? And have you settled in what he's called you to and who he's called you to be? Friends, leaders, God wants to entrust us in this season with a, a heck of a lot more. He has to if we are living in times and seasons when Jesus is coming back. He's looking for a people he can trust with more. But if we can just settle who he's called us to be and settle what he's called us to do, he can add to, he can send to, and give us the people that we need in this next season for what he has for us. But if you haven't settled this, and if the latest book and the latest social media, and on Monday morning when you go and look through all the social media, and you long for that and wish for that, and you change this to be more like that, you're not authentic. And in actual fact, I believe it's a disgrace to the Father to not want to be who he's called you to be. And I want to tell you what's lacking, and Christendom created this, what's lacking in the church is authenticity. Let me tell you, God blesses and honors authenticity, and the world hankers and longs for authenticity. And the church should be that if we just settle in our hearts. Are you there, friends? This, this is not new, but we've got to get something sorted in our hearts again. I'm not saying those things are wrong to look at, but are you comparing and competing? See, in this room, some of you are just stepping out to church plants. We've got some church plants happening in America now, and it's very exciting. I believe this week, some of you are going to be stirred to go and plant some churches again. But here's the thing. If you're looking at what others are doing, if you're looking at that as success, you finish from before you start. You really are. Now, we can learn from each other, but you can't compare and compete. So let me ask you, are you who you should be? Only you know that. See, I know what people want me to be. I know what people tell me to be. But only I know, and God knows, am I who I should be? And again, friends, I'm not preaching me, but I want to tell you, my task is not easy because everyone wants to be, to be what they want me to be. And as, even this week, I've been told what I should be. And it's by good people who love me. But I can't be what they want me to be. I must be authentic to what He has told me to be and stay true to that even as He adjusts my personality and my character. But not make me someone I'm not. Is that true for you? Am I who I should be? And am I doing what I should be doing? Let's move on. Verse 13. That's just one verse. Verse 13, Paul writes, We, however, now he moves from these guys who are bragging about comparing themselves, competing. He moves to verse 13 and he says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us a sphere that also includes you. Now, 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 friends, I'm not in reaction, but I'm just wanting to say some things. Here I want to say is this. This sphere talk has become so mystified and mystical and spiritual that people talk about spheres without understanding. Spheres include people. If people are not in your sphere, your sphere is not from God. Now, I might lose you and you might not come back to the next session, but I want to say this. It's not the spiritual thing that is so vague and so mystified and so mystical and everywhere. I mean, this is new language all over the, the, the social media about spheres. But Paul writes, it includes you. This 
sphere thing must include people, or may I suggest you're not walking in a sphere. Jesus didn't come for a sphere. He didn't give you a sphere to have this mystified, vague thing that I call mine. He came to reach people, to reconcile people back to God. And he's not coming back for a sphere. And he didn't give you a ministry of a sphere. He gave you people. And Paul's saying, this sphere includes you. If it's not people, may I say you don't have a sphere, it's time to find a sphere. It's not reaction. This language is confusing us. Paul's addressed it then, so they had it then. And he's saying, I'm writing to these guys. You're comparing yourselves with yourselves. You're measuring yourself with yourself. It's ignorance. You're missing the point. Then he goes on and he says, this fear God's given, assigned us to, includes you. It's people. Again, I want to say this morning, as you assess your call, are you reaching people? Does it include people? If it's not including people, you've got to find another sphere. Are you there, friends? Verse 14. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case, listen to this, if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm not speaking bad. I'm just telling you some stuff. I know friends and people who take maps and put them on their wall. And they have a heart for the whole world. So they claim that's their sphere. Now, according to Paul, that would be bragging if it was, if he did that. You can't have a sphere if you haven't been there. I mean, I know I, I'm speaking so obvious, but I, we just got to bring some clarity here. We got, a, we got a heart for the whole world, all right? This, we have to have a nation's heart for the whole world. But can I say, not because of us, by the grace of God, there's a hundred and something nations that we are not dreaming of, praying for, we connected to, we travel to, we have people there, we are working with, and the gospel's got there from us, praise God. But to stand up as a church and say, our heart is for that, and never be there, never connect there, and never go there, you don't have those people as your inheritance. And so we have all these dialogues, friends, and we sit around and we talk about reaching the nations, but sometimes we actually got to get there and meet people and connect and plant churches. We've got a heart for all the cities in this nation. That's great. How many of you are actually going to it, sending people? Otherwise, you're boasting in something that's not yours. Is this all right? I nearly left this all out this morning, but I felt God say, no, share it. So I'm just going with what I'm sharing. So I love that we all have a heart for the world. Have you ever been? Got a heart for Chicago? You ever been to Chicago? No, don't need to go. It's covered. No, no, friends, you've got to have a connection. Are you with me? Got a heart for Haiti. Well, they've come here now. There you go. No, no, have you ever been there? You know, you, you, our churches talk about we've got a heart for the nations. Well, tell me about how your church is going. Now we pray. That's great. You need to go. And so I, I, again, I'm just maybe just getting, venting a little. I sit with my friends who are leading things. They don't have nations. They've never been to. They don't plan. But they talk about them being a global people. That's boasting in something that's not true. Because Paul said, we would be boasting if we hadn't come to you. But we've come to you and the gospel's been preached to you because of our obedience.
and write books on how to reach nations when you've never been to a nation. Claim to be apostles, never left, never gone, the sent ones. And I'm not fighting, I'm just saying, come on, let's wake up. We buy their books and we learn from guys who aren't doing anything but talking about it in an air-conditioned room drinking Starbucks. And I'm all for air conditioners. We need more now. And I need a Starbucks in about half an hour's time. Are you there? So this is ours. There's not too many looking in. And if you were looking in, you're probably looking out after the session. This is our group of people. And I want to just tell you, we want reality. This is about authenticity, not dreaming of nations. It's getting to nations and including people and connected to other people. Otherwise, you can't claim you're working in that nation because you've got a heart for that nation. And by the grace of God, we are working in a hundred plus, not connected, dreaming of being there, planting churches on the ground and involved. But it's not enough. There's more nations to go. More cities in America. We've got many cities represented here. We've got many regions. But there's more, friends. We can't say we're an American team if we're not in America and we need to take more ground together. Would you say amen to that? got to go there. We've got to be there. We've got to be connected there to say we're working there. Verse 15, he goes, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Now this is the heart of the apostolic. He says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. That's got to be our heart still. You know, friends, there is a connection, and it's more than see you in heaven. There is a connection in this room in partnership that God's given to us, that if we're working together like we've been called to, then your breakthrough is our breakthrough. It's not, gee, Lord, you did it for them, why not for us? We hear some testimonies this week, and you think, gee, Lord, why them and not us? Why not celebrate their breakthrough is your breakthrough? It is. It's for the kingdom, but even more that, he's called us to walk, walk together. Your breakthrough, your expanding, your growth is for our good together so we can preach the gospel beyond. When there's a release of elders, we should all be released. Thank God, more elders being now. Wow, greater level of impact for the nation and for us in our togetherness. When churches are being planted, we should back it and say, how do we send people? How do we, why? Because it's our inheritance. As their area activity grows, so does ours. So the gospel goes beyond. Amen. Rather than, gee, this is affecting my church. I've got to send someone. I get all those things, but we're moving on. Time is short. Honestly, I rejoice when I hear a testimony of a marriage being restored in your church. You say, well, that's it's insignificant. It's major. It's it's breakthrough that we all have a, this is for the gospel to go further. Honestly, when you have breakthrough financially, I celebrate, even though it means I'm not getting a cent, doesn't matter. It's for the breakthrough of the kingdom and we get to advance the kingdom. Not to you, why not me, Lord? It's got to be, friends. When your church is growing at an extremely high level compared to my church that's falling apart, I should still be able to celebrate and say, praise God that God is doing that and we celebrate not what are they doing wrong, who are they cheating, who are they stealing sheep from. It's called this celebration. We work together. Buildings and facilities. Honestly, I've celebrated some of the facilities, some of the people I've got. And now you ask those who've just received, got facilities Financially, they wish they didn't have it. 
Right, Harper? You, you would acknowledge that, right? Yeah, no. These guys are all crying out for a building. They get one. Now they've broke. How do we pay for it? I don't know. But the point being is their breakthrough is our breakthrough. It has to be, friends. We, we've got to get back to that celebration. It should be globally, even if it's not guys who are partnering with NCMI. It's for the kingdom. But be, for us, more so, we better celebrate the breakthroughs. And, I, and I'm not seeing that. I'll be honest. I hear people go, gee, why them? What are they doing? You were there. What did they do? I said, nothing. God did it. Another church being planted in your region. Not your region. Just so you know, you don't own that region. Oh, we don't need another church. You need a whole lot more churches because clearly God wants to do some stuff. Seriously, guys. I know I'm stepping on toes. Here's what I want to say. The region you're in, God's going to bring more of our guys to plant there. Not join your church. Plant there. How are you going to handle that? Nah. Not going to handle it. Well, you better get used to this. We're taking the world for Jesus. Oh, Lord, we do not go beyond, verse 15, our limits, by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. This week, God wants to grip our hearts again to regions beyond us and not at the expense of the regions we have but as activity and growth and impact happens in our regions where we're working it's that we can step into that springboard into the next place to preach the gospel not so you can look good and have a successful ministry not so NCMI can look good and have another church plant for the advancement of the kingdom that this gospel may be preached to America and beyond the true gospel, not Christendom. And there are regions in this nation that have never heard the gospel. There's cities that have never heard the gospel. There are people who've never heard this gospel, the authentic truth about Jesus. Our role as Americans to reach those people. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. Verse 17, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Think about that. You know, I do have people that hate me, but I have, I think, more people that like me. I'm just choosing to believe that. But here's the thing, people can commend me, even when God's not commending me. Back to social media. Great preach. Awesome job. Well done. What did he say? Arrogant. It was all about you. Look how awesome they think you are. Is he going to say, well done, Tyler? Well, the job I've done. Are you there, friends? That's not to feel bad. We get commended by people thinking it's God. Paul's saying, listen, not the one who commends you, as long as the Lord commends us. And there is a difference. And we live for the approval of man. You can't serve Christ. There's some of you who are facing some horrific things in leadership, leading God's people that no one knows. God knows. And you don't have to get up and justify because you'll spend your life trying to justify and defend. You can't do that. Somewhere you've got to settle. God, I need your approval. You commend me. I can carry on. 
you got five people in your church and God will commend you with your five people. And you might feel like you're failing. May God commend you today. It's not the commending of man. It's the commending of God. Live for the approval of God, not man. Lead that way. So let's read on. Chapter 11, verse 1. I love this text. Paul's like defending, in a sense, his apostolic ministry. Look how he goes about it. Chapter 11, verse 1. He says, I hope you put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. Verse 2. May this grip our hearts, leaders, this morning. This needs to grab our hearts again. This verse. Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Some, some versions say, with the jealousy of God himself. Not I'm jealous of you. Not I'm jealous for you to serve me. Not I want you to be mine. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Friends, there's a difference between our jealousy and God's jealousy. There is a healthy and holy jealousy and there's an incredibly sinful jealousy. And many mix the two. And there's everyone in this room, if we're honest, are jealous of others. Why he has breakthrough? Why do they have money? Why does he marry her? She's beautiful. I wish she was my wife. I know you, yeah, okay. Um, are you there? This is jealousy. Why he get the church? Why didn't I get, I mean, friends, we can go through that. Why does he drive that car? Why do they have that? Why is she, I mean, it's, it's rampant. And then we take this verse and say, well, it's fine. We need a godly jealousy. It's pure. And here's the jealousy. Paul says, I have not a jealousy for the church. Of the, I have this godly jealousy. Lead us. If you're privileged to lead God's people, can I just say, elders, pastors in this room, you need a godly jealousy again. In this season, we better get a godly jealousy, not a jealousy of the church for others, a godly jealousy. It's got to grip our hearts. This is apostolic ministry. I'm jealous for you, not of you, for you. The jealousy of God himself. Why? I promised you to one husband. And if you're wondering who that is, he says, Christ, to Christ. You're not the husband of your church. I'm not the husband to this team. This belongs to him. And we need this jealousy to come back that is godly because we have promised. Have you made that promise? If you haven't, today's your day to make that promise again. I have promised these people to one husband. And that husband is not me or even NCMI or the ministry. It's to Christ. And honestly, guys, it's easy to preach this. It's easy to aim this. To live this and lead this way is very difficult. Because everything is tainted from this truth. People want us to be the king. People want us to be awesome. They want to tell us how awesome we are. And, they, and it's so easy to begin to get jealous when he says awesome things about others. Are you there? But if we've settled, we will protect the church on the right things in this season. With the right voice. With the right truth that will keep her liberated to taking ground rather than fearful of doing anything wrong. 
My leaders won't be happy if I do this. Who cares with all due respect about your leaders? What about the king? I'm not allowed to do this. Why? Because my leader said, no, because I am promised to one husband. I'm just shooting from the hip. This is my prayer for me and for this team that I lead. I pray this daily for this team that I lead. I teach this. These guys, we just had a team meeting in Canada, and I taught this stuff again and again. Because my heart is, if we lose this heart, we lose the God-given inheritance we've been given and what He wants to trust us with in the future. And I'm not here to talk about other teams and other. I'm talking about us. Can God trust us? This is how. We have a godly jealousy promised to one husband, to Christ. You don't belong to me. You belong to Christ. You don't belong to your local church. You belong to Christ. You don't belong. Every local church in this room connected to us belongs to Christ, not to NCMI. You don't belong to your pastor. Your pastor doesn't belong to you. You're not belongers of a church. You belongers of Christ. Paul wanted to be known. I belong to someone, not something. And he led that way as well. Is that still true? It might be in your heart. Is it in the ministry you're involved in? Is it true in the church you're involved in? Do people even know this truth? Have you settled this? Otherwise, Christendom will be rebirthed. So that I may present you as a pure virgin to Him. I mean, that's strong language, friends. That that means that you have never been unfaithful. That I've promised you to one husband as a pure virgin to him, which means I've never taken advantage of it. I've never abused who she is because she belongs to him. I've made this connection, covenant, promise. I've promised you to someone else and I'm going to lead you that way. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to govern that way. I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach. I'm going to counsel that way, not do what I say. But you belong to someone else. And people say, why the Jesus thing? Because Jesus is most important. People say, oh, is it about Jesus? Why are you always about Jesus? Because that's what it means to promise you. You know, we can preach Christ. We can preach how awesome we are so much. Can I say this? That the church has began to fall in love with herself. Do you know that? We preach the church so much, how awesome the church is, and, and it is awesome. I mean, let's be honest. It's the only thing he's coming back for. We are the bride of Christ. But we can so preach how awesome the church is that the church falls in love with herself. Is it not our role to get the church to be in love with Jesus, not herself? Yes. And so people will leave our churches when we present Christ as awesome and not them as awesome. They will find a church that tells them they're awesome and they are so in love with themselves and they're looking in the mirror saying, look how awesome I am and me, I'm beautiful. Oh, and Jesus has this wonderful fire in his eyes longing for me and I'm beautiful. And that's all true, but that's not the purpose. We need the church to be ready for him, to long for him. The spirit and the bride say, come Lord Jesus. Well, how's that going to happen? Presenting him, making it faithful to him, presenting this church to the one who deserves and owns him. It's not easy to lead like that, friends. It's really not. 
Everything in our nature says we want that recognition. I'm awesome. You need me. Even on this team, I'm being honest. I mean, as the team leader, I get some privileges. People honor you for your position. They dishonor you too for your position. I get that. But they honor you. You can be needed. I need you in my church. We need you in your region. I get that all the time. And it's not because of me. It's because of my position. It's very easy to say, gee, I'm needed. I'm needed. I'm good. I'm awesome. I arrive. You need me. I'm your solution. Before I know it, I've lost the love. I have made a promise to the Father to ready this bride for Jesus to come back. Church leaders, you need to ask God for that heart every single day. Please. We have to protect this because somehow it's been lost. Now listen. With intent to the people around us, to the leaders, how they talk about their people. And I know your hearts are good, but they're not your people. My people do what I want them to do. They give to my thing. They back. No, no, no. I know your heart's good, but that's not true. And if that's what you're saying, is that what they think? See, there's some surgery this week, guys, today. And it's not just the pastors, because some of you are sitting here going, I'm so glad my pastor's hearing this. No, no, you need to hear this. Because what about you? This is not for the pastors. It's for every person in this room. Where are you at when it comes to Jesus? Oh, uh, that language, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Verse 3, but I am afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from the pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Friends, that has happened regularly in the church in this nation where somehow we've been led astray, where people begin to buy into the lie of everything else. And even Paul goes on and he says, for if someone in verse 4 comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you've accepted, you put up with it so easily. In other words, you don't just put up with it, you embrace it. And you listen to what's been preached across this great nation in the church. And I want to tell you, it's a different gospel to the authentic gospel. It's a different Jesus. It's a Jesus who's there for us at every level, rather than the Jesus of the Bible, who is Lord of all. It's, he's there to hook you up. He's your buddy. He's your mate. He's your pal. He's whatever you want him to be. He's your life coach. He's your social coach. He, he, drive, he sits next to you in your journey. You take the wheel, but he's next to you. Whenever you need him, just call out. Let me tell you, if you're preaching that, forgive me, you're preaching a false gospel. If that's the Jesus you know, you know not the Jesus of the Bible, friend. And you need a revelation this morning so you can adjust and begin to understand who Christ is because when we get the real revelation of Christ, we, the church, don't survive. We thrive in a season that's coming on the church in North America. But if He is this Jesus there for you, you're done, friend. You've been lied to, and I want to tell you, that's not true. You need some truth this morning. Now he's going to be there and he is the anchor of our soul and all this stuff. But he's Lord of all. He is King of kings. May I suggest we exist for him. He doesn't exist for us. 
We need this revelation of what the Bible teaches about Jesus rather than what we want Him to be. And we, we're not just on an on-off, a one-off revelation, an ongoing. I mean, friends, I mean, I'm not even going to get stick to my notes. All right, just, I, I'm here to speak on a Jesus-focused people and I haven't got to any points. Hey, can, I, can I just throw out a few things here? My concern is that we don't, are not growing in our revelation of Christ. We talk about Him, we sing about Him. But I want to ask you honestly, are you growing on your own personal revelation of Jesus? You see, my wonderful wife, I mean, we've been married 18 years and it's been an absolute joy to be married to this woman. But let me tell you this. If we, every time talked about our marriage, I go back to the photos of our wedding. So this is our marriage. And I based the whole walk with Nicole back on the day we got married. If you think about getting married, can I just say this to you? It's more than a wedding. I'm just telling you, ladies, you all long for the day of wearing your dress and all this great stuff. It's more than a day. It's for the rest of your life. While the wedding's great, it's the marriage that's more important. Because it's forever. Now, if I keep referencing our wedding when I talk about our marriage, how many of you know Nicole's going to be a little offended that I always go back to the photos and I wish you still looked like that and gee, we had a great marriage. No, we had a day of a wedding. But how do I love you today? Not how did I love you then? Where are we at today? Now, most guys have this relationship and whenever you talk to them about Jesus, they talk about when they got saved, which is great. But surely, friends, surely we should be moving on from the day we got married, uh, the day we got saved. Now, I'm grateful for your 1972 on the day of this day you got met Jesus. That's great. I don't want to hear about that. I want to know about Jesus today in your world. And too many leaders and people are living on the snapshot of what was, thinking it's going to be enough to take us into where we're headed. It's not enough, friend. He wants us to grow on our relationship on a daily basis. Where are you today? Not where were you the day you got saved. And this is not a suggestion. This is the survival for our future because Christ is the lifeline for us as we take ground together. There is no hope if you're not living with revelation, not of the church, not of the kingdom, of Christ the King. That's the revelation we need. Where are you at right now with Christ? How does Paul, a man who clearly had an encounter like most of us have never had with Jesus. I mean, we all reference his testimony when we talk to people about, Je- uh, about Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, he has this encounter and he is blinded for three days. How many of you were blinded three days when you came to Jesus? None of us. Three days blinded. And this is where you'll go and this is what you'll do and who are you, Lord, and what must I do? And And he has this encounter from a terrorist to the preacher of the gospel. That's what he was. But you know, this Paul who had such an encounter didn't stay there. And he had this constant prayer. I want to know Christ. And I want to stop and say, Paul, with all due respect, you know Christ. I mean, I reference your testimony of how you met him. He didn't stay there. 
Every day it's, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Now let me ask you, is that still in your heart, friend? Not just for your church, for you as individuals here this morning. There's no authenticity if we're not following Christ. You say, well, what's this all about? What are these banners for? That's our, that is our job. Ultimately, to know Christ and to make Him known. People say, well, what's the role? To make Him known. No, no, you've got to know Him to make Him known. And you can't make Him known based on what you knew of Him. Please don't live on the snapshots of your walk with Jesus. Every day, I want to know Christ. I keep asking. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, Paul says, that we may know Him better. I pray that over my spouse. I pray that over my children. I pray that over this team. I pray that over the NCMI Connection group globally. I pray that more than bless their marriage and bless their finances. I pray, Lord, please let us grow in revelation of Jesus. Individuals, my three sons are here. I want them to know not how awesome the nations are and how the global call is calling for them. I want them to know Jesus daily because that stuff will come, but that stuff won't keep them if they don't walk in the revelation of Jesus. Christianity, friends, is Christ. You know, we talk about uh, um, missions, but can I say missions is not primarily about going somewhere. Missions is about following someone. That's Jesus Christ. Let's just read a few verses of Scripture and then we'll break. All right, just go to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, says this. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. Now, now God spoke according to the writer of Hebrews, through various ways, through various people. through. But in these last days, God has spoken in His finality through who? His Son, Jesus. Do, do, you, do you understand how important Christ is? He's the final word of God being spoken. Christ is the center of, of it all. And then the writer begins to describe who Christ is. Go verse 3. It says, The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. Friends, God is not presenting Jesus as many God. He's not presenting Jesus as one who be God. And, and, and I know there's a nervousness, and I get questioned on this a lot because I speak about Jesus all the time. Even yesterday I talked about how we want to sing about Jesus. I spent with the musos. I said, if we're not singing about Jesus, I don't want us to sing that song. I don't want to guess who we're singing about. I want to know who we're singing about. And one of the guys came and said, Hey, Tyron, can, can I just ask you a question? Can we sing about the Holy Spirit and about God? I'm, of course. They, they're not separate. But I don't want this concept and abstract to be sung about where we're wondering who we're singing about. But we need the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to us because man can't do that. I mean, if you love Jesus, my friends, you will love the Holy Spirit. And if you love the Holy Spirit, the true Holy Spirit, then you'll be obsessed with Jesus because the Holy Spirit exalts Christ. 
Are you there? It's not in competition. And where's God in all this? He's very happy. Why? He spoke in his finality. So there's my son. Salvation belongs to God. It's through my son, salvation. Jesus is the head of the church. Who made it that way? God. So let's not worry about, is God okay with me honoring Christ? Yes, he's well okay with it. In actual fact, he honors and favors a people who make Jesus the center of it all. He trusts us with more if we make Christ the focus. He can know that you guys and I will be faithful of making it ours, but keeping it about Jesus. Business people in this room, can I say to you, God will honor your business if you honor his son. Pastors, if you honor Christ and make it about Christ, here's my guarantee from Scripture, God will favor your church and honor you if you honor his son. NCMI, as a team, God's promise to us is if you honor his son, he will honor us. He will favor a people who favor his son. Can't earn it, but I want you to believe if you honor Christ, God honors you. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Jesus is not wannabe, mini-God. Jesus is fully God. If you've seen God, Jesus, you've seen God. You want to know what God looks like? Look to Jesus. You want to know why he's so important? Because the world wants to know what God is like. Jesus came fully God. Seeing Christ, you've seen God. We don't have to wonder what God looks like. I know there's a mystery. I get all that. But Jesus is the exact representation I want to tell you, it's helped me in my walk. That is not this, while there's a huge mystery to this all, God is not so mystified to me that it's vague, that it's hard to worship. Because of my revelation of Christ, I'm stronger in my walk with God. I pray, I worship, I find it easier to worship because of our revelation of Jesus. I find it easier to preach and easier to lead and even easier to be a husband to my wife, which is very difficult, not because of her, because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. To raise children, oh, God help us. Three teenagers, I mean, God help me. I don't have a clue, but I find it easier by my revelation of Jesus. It's not in a book, friend. Stop reading the books. Get on your knees and get revelation of Christ. You will see things in the right way again. You will have this anointing to be able to lead and to honor and to worship. You who are leading churches, you'll be able to stay the course when people leave your church because your eyes are not on your people, they're on Christ. You will not change the message to keep people happy. You'll get on your knees and present Christ in His fullness and in His glory. And when He is presented, people will come and eat of the bread of life. Some might leave, but that's okay. They live because of Christ. It's a good thing. I love that He has provided purification for my sin. Not it's there. He's still got to do it. He's done it. And after He did what He said He was going to do, what He was called to do, it's finished, friends. 
He sat down, not because he's lazy or tired, because his job is finished. Sat down. Where? The highest place of all, majesty of heaven. No one else gets to sit where Jesus is seated. Now surely that's easier to worship Jesus like that. Rather than some dude on a cross, which I get the importance of the cross, but he's not on the cross, he's not in the grave, he's not even here. He's on the throne, ruling and reigning. How can we not honor a king like that? How can we not be obsessed with Jesus? See, I, I, I've got 12 points. I'm going to give you one and we're finishing in four minutes. A Christ-centered people, because I love the emphasis that has come in the last few years, not just within our ranks, globally. I'll be honest, there were days I was struggling to find years, maybe five years ago, maybe eight years, to find a song about Jesus. I mean it. I was struggling to find songs about Jesus. I was telling the musicians, write songs because we can't find them because everything's about us rather than Him. Now there are songs everywhere about Jesus. I mean, it's hard to find a song not about Jesus. Isn't that exciting? I'm listening. I connect with other streams and flows and denominations and teams, and they all emphasize in Christ again, and I'm excited. There is this fresh sense of a Jesus culture being taken back, where Jesus Christ is becoming. There's a Jesus movement again. But it's not at the expense of everything else God's shown us, and as God reveals other things, we don't lose this truth. This truth is foundational to all truth. Now I'm contending that we keep this truth and not lose our way, because you lose that, you lose it all. And so I've loved the emphasis. But let me tell you, if we're serious uh, are about the, the king and his king, if we're serious about Christ, then there's fruit. It's not a slogan. It's not we have it on our banners. There must be fruit. There, there is fruit that comes from being Christ-focused. There's proof we Christ-focused by the fruit, not by what we say, by the fruit of our lives and the fruit of the church and of our ministries. And and I think we have to continue to go back and not assess our lives. But look, is there fruit? Because if there's not, then it's a slogan and not a reality. And we've got to adjust adjust it to becoming a reality. And we can see those things in Scripture. But I just want to just give you one this morning, and then we'll have a break and see what happens afterwards. But the first thing, I want to tell you that if you are Christ-focused, Christ-centered, then here's the thing, you're captivated by Jesus. Now, 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 you want to know if your church is Christ-centered. Listen to the conversation of the people in your church. That's just a great way to tell. Not how many people show up. Listen to the conversation outside of your meetings. Are people talking about you or your church or politics or all this other stuff at the expense of Christ? Because if you are Christ-focused, you're captivated by Christ, which means you talk about Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the heart of the church, but he's the hope of the church. He really is. You have no hope without Christ, right? Nation has no hope without Christ, but the church has no hope. So we were recently at a gathering. I'm going to be vague. Somewhere in this, somewhere in a nation of all these. He- and again, I'm not mocking. I just was an eye opener for me to go. And so we went and. We invited, and it's all the church planning. Some of you heard this story. All these church planners, the heads of church planning organizations across North America were invited to be at this place. And these are the guys who are not planning. They oversee. You have to be the head dude. Uh, we don't talk like that, but this is what was then. 
So they invited me, me as the head dude of NCMI and church planning to come. So I went. We went to just connect. And I'm going to say, I opening to hear statistics and all these things. That, but I want to tell you this. In our three days there, Jesus didn't get a mention in the first two and a half days. Now, now you, you say, Tyrone, maybe I'm just can sniff it. But it wasn't even to sniff it. There was just nothing about Jesus. And I'm sitting there like trying to shut up and be quiet and listen. And I'm there to learn. And, and then they came to this big chat of how do we get the church? The biggest problem in North America in church planning is that people are not evangelizing. Right? So now we need to work on how to get the church to evangelize because no one's getting saved in the churches. And so then we bring in all the speakers and they're talking about strategies. And friends, I get it all. But I, I sat there thinking the reason we're not evangelizing because we're not talking about the one who matters most. I'm afraid I'm serious. If we get the church in love with Jesus, who do you think they're going to talk about? We won't have to fly in evangelists to equip us to love Jesus more if we love him. So eventually I'm like, I've got a plan, I've got an idea. Remember, TK was with me. You know, if we got the church in love with Jesus, then I think we won't need another plan. We just, they'll automatically go and talk about it. And this is the response. Great point. Good idea. Sit down. Let's carry on. Now, how do we strategize again? It wasn't good enough. A great point. Point taken, but not really the point I'm looking for. Let's get back to our clever strategy. Now, guys, can, can I say to you, seriously? We need strategies that come from heaven. But here's the one for evangelism. Get your people in love. Not with your church. Because if they invite, let me just tell you, inviting people to your church, listen, do not evangelize. Do you know that? We talk more about our churches and our ministries than Christ. No evangelism. I was reaching on a plane and all I did was talk about Jesus. As we landed, the guy said to me, what do you do? I said, oh, I lead a church. Oh, I was leading a church. And... I lead this international kind of team. He said, it's interesting. We've had two and a half hours together. You never mentioned where your church is at or your ministry. All you talked about is Jesus. He said, I've never heard a pastor talk like that. Are you, are you there, friends? I didn't tell him, oh, you need to come check out my church and we're awesome. And I mean, we are awesome and you should come check out our church. But let Jesus be the attraction because my obsession is not our ministry. It can't be. It can't be the church I'm part of, although I love the church. It's got to be Christ. So if you're struggling to see people saved in your church, I want to suggest it's because your people aren't in love with Jesus. And it's not because their hearts are wrong or your heart's wrong. Maybe we're missing what we're talking about, what we're preaching about, and who they're talking about. Because as they grow in their revelation of Christ, let me tell you, they will default to talking about Jesus. There's a strategy. You don't need an evangelist for that. You just need to be obsessed yourself and then get your people obsessed. I've made a commitment to the Lord and I know people think it's weird, but I have made a commitment to the Lord. My commitment, I'm not asking you to do that, is that every opportunity I have at any context anywhere, whether it's public or private, whether it's with a sinner or a pastor, I'm going to break sure Jesus gets airplay in my conversation. I'm going to not take it there by default, I'm going there straight away. And you who've connected with me would know that's true. And it's not because I want you to get saved. 
because I want you to know who I'm passionate about. And when you begin to live like that, God begins to give you doors and people and opportunities, I believe, because He knows He will speak about what matters and you'll be faithful in the context He gives. So some of you have been given doors. God wants to give doors. I believe part of this week is big doors. Big doors into big situations. But will he, what will you speak about? Your ministry, your church, your gifts, or Jesus? How do you measure success? Well, all the people that show up on Sunday make me look successful. Eh, wrong. I believe success is how much airplay in your church is Jesus getting, not in your meetings, all the time. So we have to get back to the measuring, the reality, rather than the slogan. And I've got some other points, and hopefully I'll get to them after this break. But I do want to tell you this. A church that is captivated by Jesus, that's a Christ-centered church. Not come to a conference and get captivated and go home and lose your heart. Stay in the course. And then we won't have Christendom again. It'll be Christianity. Authentic following of Jesus. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, we thank you that this is your purpose, this is your plan. We don't have to convince anyone about anything. And even in this room this morning, it's not my job to convince us. Holy Spirit, you desire to convince us the, the role that Christ plays in all things. And we don't want to go and preach this. We want to live this. We don't want to go and tell others to do this. We want to settle this morning the reality. Not look at the photos of when I came to Christ. I want to live with this revelation, knowing Christ today. I, I pray that you'll re remove the scales, perhaps. The, the cultural barriers of how we've been taught about Jesus, that's not true. Would you remove those and reveal Christ to us? Would you show us again and again who Christ is? I pray for leaders who are leading churches that you would give them a greater revelation of Christ. I pray for marriages to be strengthened by our revelation of Christ. I pray for young people in this room to stay the course, not by hanging in there, but by growing in their revelation of who Christ is. That, that I do things out of my revelation, not because I'm not allowed to, because I choose not to, because of who I know, Jesus Christ. Not because my parents said no. Not because the Bible says no, because I love Christ. Because I love Christ, I want to obey Christ. And Father, where we've lost our way, just would you just adjust us this morning to coming back. And may we lead churches and may the church be built in this season 
singing and honoring and praising Christ. Would you favor us in this season as we make much of your son Jesus? We pray for this nation in this time. Lord, I, I, I pray that this nation will not look to the government anymore, not look to what we can do, look again to a church that is in love with Jesus. Not a church is looking for them to see them, but a church that says, let us show you Christ. We want to be authentic followers of Jesus. May we follow you, Christ. May we lead and point people and lead us. May we have your heart, Lord, this morning. A godly jealousy. Oh, give us a godly jealousy for the church. That we've promised you to one husband, to Christ, to present you as a pure virgin for him. Let us not be led astray. Let us not lead people astray, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.